Hello, I'm Lucy. And I'm Michelle. Welcome to another episode of Tudor Rivers. We've still got dot, dot, dot where we're meant to put the number, but (laughs) (laughs) another. Gave that up ages ago. Yes. The biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. Although today we're not doing a life. No, we are doing dentistry. So if you have any squeamishness with teeth, you might want to skip this one. (laughs) (laughs) No, just buckle under. (laughs) Grit grit your teeth. That's what I'll be doing. (laughs) it's, It's not too bad. Okay. There's no big descriptions of drilling or anything like that. <laughs> Good, because they didn't have drills. We'll start with a whistle-stop tour through history. And as general rule of thumb, the richer people suffered more tooth decay than poorer people. Oh, because they had sugar. Not so much at this time, but yes, generally rich food. Yeah, well, from what I understand, the actual biggest culprit was the white bread that turned to uh, sugar in your mouth, but didn't have the fiber to work its way through. Uh, yeah. And the poor people ended up wearing their teeth out because of the stone grinding. Yeah, the gritting. Yeah. Because yeah. the white bread mm. was put through almost like a pillowcase to sift out the fiber, which would also sift out the rock debris from the quern stones, the grinding stones. And, so. and any goodness that would have been in there. Yes. So now you're getting nothing but starch and sugar and yeah, not good for your teeth. We shouldn't assume that throughout history people have had brown rotting stumps in their mouths. No. People looked after their teeth. I mean, why wouldn't you? Toothache is horrible. Yes, it is. King Solomon told Bathsheba that her teeth, quote, are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, Aww. which come up from the washing, unquote. So people have always cleaned their teeth and, and white teeth have been desirable. Yes, Keep your breath from being bad, too. Yeah. Problems with the teeth were put down to three things. Demons, worms, and the humours. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're so, off on fantasy right away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, welcome to history land. <laughs> Certainly the Babylonians put tooth decay down to both demons and worms, and the worms might burrow their way into the tooth... Or they might arise spontaneously from the rotting tooth. Oh. They're very keen on things arising spontaneously, weren't they? Like the... Uh, yes. The, was, it, was it bees that came out of a dead lion? Yes. It's Just think of every single thing that they thought, starting with, all of a sudden. <laughs> you, could, um, you could use incantations to combat the toothworm. Really? But you also did this with henbane shoved into the cavity to kill the toothworm. So the symptoms of being poisoned by henbane may have taken the patient's mind off the fact that they had toothache. Henbane, I hadn't realised, means hen killer. No, I didn't know that. Mm. Don't grow henbane if you've got chickens. Okay. The henbane could be burnt and the smoke forced into the tooth through a tube to smoke the worms out. Did they ever see worms? How did they think it was worms if they can't see them? You can. We'll come to that in a little while. Yes. There actually are toothworms. Not as such. Okay. Yes. We'll come to that. <laughs> if you were lucky enough to be cured, though, in Babylonian times, you would hang a clay tablet in the temple 
itemising what was wrong with you and what had been done to cure it. And these were collected by the priests, so they became the first source of dental treatment. You could just sort of uh, flick through these clay tablets and think, well, I've got that, so... I need to do that. Oh, no, Wikipedia for <laughs> tutor age. Oh, jeez. I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this time, it shows that dental medicine was carried out by priests. And by the time we get to Herodotus's time, about 500 BC, he tells us that dentistry was now th- has then been carried out by lay people, not priests. Mm. Belief in the humours goes back to Babylonian times. And they swore by all those unpleasant cures that we saw in the syphilis episode. Oh. Voiding seems to have been very much in favour. People were often given poisons to help with the voiding. But generally with teeth, the idea was, if it hurts, knock it out. So take out the tooth. Yeah. Okay. Frankincense, frankincense and myrrh were used, and indeed myrrh continued to be used until 1951. Really? Well, that was when it was last mentioned in the Pharmacology and Dental Therapeutics wow. manual. When they discovered it didn't actually do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought they would have discovered that a long time ago. Yes, turns out no. But this is at least quite a sane suggestion, using myrrh. Another was to wash the teeth in water in which a phallus had been washed. I, excuse me? That one seems to have fewer medical credentials, I think, and I'm not entirely sure... What's the thinking behind it? Not a clue. I think it was a joke. Uh, it, I hope <laughs> it was so. a joke played on somebody. <laughs> There's evidence for dentists in early ancient Egypt. The hieroglyph for a dentist is an eye and an elephant's tusk. Oh. Yeah. Later, Herodotus said, quote, Egypt is quite full of doctors. Some attend to disorders of the eyes, others to those of the head. Some take care of the teeth, others are conversant with all diseases of the bowels, while many attend to the cure of maladies which are less conspicuous, unquote. Hmm. So, definitely had dentists. That's crazy. Well, no, it's not. I mean, that's something that everybody has. Sooner or later, it's going to go wrong. You would think getting a dentist would be a good idea. It would be required. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's few, few things worse than toothache. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of, th- lots of things worse than toothache. I think part of the toothache problem is the knowledge that you've then got to go to the dentist with it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I broke one of my molars and, my goodness, the pain was insane. I couldn't believe something so uh, small could hurt so bad. <laughs> yeah. And it's in your head as well. That's, yeah. That's one of the big things. And we looked at... Um, well, I did. I looked at the death rolls during the Tudor time, and it's amazing how many people in the death rolls, the cause of death is death by teeth. Yes. Well, we'll come to a death roll from 1665. Okay. And uh, yes, <laughs> the um, numbers are quite astounding. Yeah. Yeah. In China, they also went in with the worm theory and also a variant on the humoral theory. They suggest pressing garlic into the cavity. And that sounds as if it might possibly help. It I mean, is antimicrobial. Garlic is great for lots of things, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's actually proven to be <laughs> antimicrobial. <Yes. laughs> it's one of the few things. And also arsenic as pain relief, oh, which may, no. relieve, may have relieved the pain, possibly forever. <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese favoured burning the toothache away. Ooh by igniting plants and pressing it against the problem area. Oh, that would hurt. 
Yeah. Your tooth already hurts and now you're going to superheat it. Yep. Yes, you're going to have scalding as well as, <laughs> as well as everything else. In India, they also had the tooth worm, which made me wonder whether there was a common text that had somehow made its way across the yeah. world. Or is a worm a natural human response to the pain of that type? Would we have felt that the pain was so great that the only explanation was that something was gnawing away at your teeth? Okay. And I think that's quite possible. You say it's a gnawing pain as well. I mean, it's... But you said there is evidence of a worm. Uh, not as such. Oh. There is evidence, but it's not uh, creditable evidence. Oh. It's ah. evidence for the gullible. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Gotcha. The Indians were more proactive in their approach to dentistry. They tied loose teeth to the neighbouring strong ones to hold them in place. And they extracted teeth and they removed tartar. They also made toothpaste. Tartar, incidentally, was a word first coined by Paracelsus, who we've mentioned a few times, and he'll probably quote a Patreon episode at some point. Mm -hmm. He named it after the stone-like mineral accretions found in the inside of wine casks. Ah. Neat. You would think that the ancient Greeks would have made a contribution, but dentistry seems to be one of the few things the Greeks didn't get involved in. Really? Hmm. I'm sure they had people that looked after your teeth, but there's no main uh, discovery or, or theory. Yeah. Mm. Huh. Like you normally get with the Greeks, you know, it's like, oh, God, the Greeks got there first. Yes. Not this time. <laughs> <laughs> In the first century BC, or BCE, whichever you prefer, in Italy, dental bridges have been found made of gold rings and human teeth. Really? Oh, wait, mm. human teeth. Where'd they get the teeth? Probably battlefields, I expect. That's where you often got teeth, wasn't it? Or slaves. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Mm. Hippocrates thought that some people were just naturally predisposed to tooth decay. But also it was exacerbated by trapped food rotting in the teeth. You'd have thought they'd have spotted that one really <laughs> <laughs> quite a long time ago. Hippocrates' description of a tooth extraction using forceps is thought to be the first description of dental surgery. Ugh. Aristotle studied the teeth of pigs in accurate detail, but then he went and spoiled it all by saying something stupid like, men have more teeth than women, when a simple count would have proved that one to be wrong. Yeah. Unless he counted one person that was old enough to have their wisdom teeth in and one person that didn't. Yeah. Well, that fallacy lingered for ages, and Pl Pliny repeat, repeats it in the natural histories. Oh, isn't that the same as men have more ribs than women? Well, that has biblical mm -hmm. evidence, doesn't it? The Romans made false teeth out of bone, boxwood, or ivory. Ooh. I assume you don't get splinters from boxwood. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> And the reason we know about Roman dentistry is that although it was customary to cremate dead bodies, it was also customary to remove any dental work first and then reunite it with the ashes of the owners. They were buried together. Why? I don't know why they did that, but it's one of those little serendipities which are really helpful to historians. <laughs> okay. By the first century, Roman dentistry was separated into tooth pullers and barber surgeons. If you're looking for a good mouthwash, the Romans would suggest you try the first urine of the day. Or better still, find a young boy and use his first urine oh. of the day. 
And we actually have the name of the man who is said to have, have been the first to fill a tooth. With what? Mercury? <laughs> That's liquid. No, it's with lead. Oh, just as good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he seems only to have used it while extracting the tooth to prevent it falling apart because the forceps grip it and it just crumbles. Mm. You've got nothing to, nothing to grab hold of. So the lead probably wouldn't have been there long enough to cause, cause any damage. We hope. Celsus said that toothache and abscesses, quote, may be numbered among the worst of tortures, unquote, which is, I'm sure we could all agree with. Yeah. I mean, we have paracetamol now, thank God. <laughs> Celsus recommended a mixture of cinnamon, mandrake, opium and castorium. Well, the opium would help. Yeah, I, looked up, I had to look up castorium. Never. It comes from the castor sacs of the mature beaver. Ew. How on earth did anyone think to give that a go? I don't know, but in a lot of ingredients, if it says natural flavor, it's usually from the castors of beavers or testicles of beavers. Really? I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things the trappers get the most money from when they're trapping I think beaver. that might be just a Canadian thing because it would be too expensive to put beaver into things that are made here. <laughs> no, it isn't. Oh, right. Yeah, beware of natural flavor. <laughs> Celsus's book, De Re Medicina, on medicinal things, was first published in 1478. So we're inching to our time mm. period. Not by Caxton, unfortunately, but in Florence. He's quite a fascinating man. She is um, the first to use the word insania for insanity. Oh. Galen thought that teeth grew back and that they were the centres of taste. How could you think they grow back? You have ample I... evidence that they do not once you're older. He was an intelligent man in many ways, but he was just way off the mark with teeth. Yeah. I don't know why he, he thought that. Uh, yeah, some of these are just really simple observations. Mm. Huh. In the West, the toothworm was removed, in inverted commas, by burning henbane over charcoal. And the patient would presumably have to sit open-mouthed with their head over the charcoal. And this would definitely have stemmed the pain, at least for a while, since the henbane is a narcotic... And I would think the charcoal would make you feel pretty woozy as well, wouldn't you? It's um, carbon monoxide. Do we have any evidence of anybody dying during some of these treatments? Uh, yes. <laughs> and here's, here's the evidence for, for the worm. Burnt henbane seeds look like worms. So the dentist was able to say... There, you're feeling better, aren't you? I've lured all the worms out of your teeth. There they are. I've collected them in a dish for you. And then he made a very quick exit before the narcotics wore off and the patient realised they were in just as much pain as they were before. I I googled, sorry, I googled beaver okay. flavour and yes, it is. It can be used for... <laughs> I'm looking at a couple of research articles Um it can be used for vanilla flavor, strawberry flavor. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and beaver flavor. And it's just added in as a natural flavor rather than... And it's from castor, castorium. Yeah. So... Mm. Yum, yum. It does and it doesn't because it's now so costly they're finding artificial means. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'd rather have the artificial means, thank you. Please don't do that anymore. No. No, 
Don't do that Sorry. to the beaver. Continue. <laughs> In the East, there were people like the 9th to 10th century Razis. He was a Persian physician. He said that toothaches came in two types. Those caused by cold, thick humours, for which opium, pepper and tar were the best cures, and hot toothaches, presumably inflammations, I think, for which he prescribed cupping and bleeding to the face. Oh. Mm, nice leech on your nose. I'd rather go with the opium. I know it's addictive, but at least it's painkiller. Yeah. An actual working painkiller. Having a leech on your face isn't going to do the trick. No. And I nice, a good that. distraction, probably. Oh, as you're, you're screaming. Thinking, yes, you're thinking, oh, God, I've got a leech on my face. Mm -hmm. Avicenna, about a century later, advocated drilling down into the sawtooth to release the infection and to create a channel in which to pour the medicine. So you can see the logic in that. Yes, I can. You get the medicine directly to the pain. Yeah. How did he drill down, though? I'm not sure. I mean, you have um, augers, don't you? Yeah, but it's teeny tiny. Mm. Could you imagine a gigantic auger just going into your <laughs> jaw? You don't have any teeth left. Around this time, we hear of the first recorded death by extraction. Quote, on the island of Delphi, a painful molar extracted by an inexperienced physician occasioned the death of a philosopher. For the marrow of the tooth, which originates from the brain ran down the lungs and killed the philosopher, unquote. What? So there you are. That's, that's why people die of extraction. It's because it goes straight to the lungs <laughs> via the brain. Okay. In the 13th century, Abd al-Rahim al-Jobari ridiculed the toothworm theory. It's about time someone did. Yeah. He said that dentists gave their patients something soft to hold in their mouths in which a worm was hidden. And this stuff would then disintegrate, and the dentist extracted the worms with tweezers and said, Got it! You're cured! Ah. Mm. In the Middle Ages, and that covers Henry VII's reign, we have travelling tooth pullers. <laughs> and we have the King of Scotland. Yeah, indeed. A stage was set up, music, juggling, and luring the punters in. The dentist calls out to anyone who's suffering from toothache and a man in the audience shouts, me, 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 I'm suffering from toothache. And he climbs onto the stage and the dentist gets to work and after less than a minute he holds the tooth aloft and the patient is amazed. He says he hardly felt a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Scam! <laughs> Sometimes the tooth pillar would put the tooth into the man's mouth or the man would, would shove this tooth in his mouth with you know, blood or paint on the end so that the tooth puller could then take it out and hold it up and say, there you go. Uh, then a real person gets on the stage and starts screaming. Yes, precisely. It takes a lot longer and is a good deal more painful with other people. But luckily they've got drums and trumpets to drown, drown the sound the of the screaming. Oh. <laughs> but what if the tooth wouldn't come out at all? Well, then they'd tell the patient that it was an eye tooth. So if you pulled it out, the patient's eye would pop out as well. Because <gasps> eye, eye teeth, upper incisors and canines were commonly believed to be attached to the eyes. Really? Hence the word eye teeth. Huh. What a, yeah. what a weird belief. It's one of those things you think, oh, that's why it's called eye tooth. And then you think, no, hang on, they're not attached to the eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's... Not at all. Hmm. 
Once the money has been taken, the show moves on. And anyone who had their tooth pulled out, and they should later develop complications, well, the dentist's long gone. This was still going on at the period we're covering and over many centuries beyond. And they were known as toothers or kind hearts. Kind hearts. Kind hearts. Yeah, in 1595, Henry Chettle, dramatist and bookseller, published a pamphlet, Kind Heart's Dream, describing the lot of the itinerant tooth drawer. I couldn't work out whether he's repeating the name used for them or whether Kind Heart was the name for that particular tooth puller and so they became known as Kind Hearts based on that pamphlet. I'm not sure which way around it went. I don't know. They were also known as Quacks, Mountiebanks and Charlatans. Where did Quacks come from? I've always wondered that. Well, it first appears in a book called The School of Abuse in 1579, which contained the phrase, quote, a quack salwa, budget of filthy receipts, unquote. So his list of dodgy recipes, I think. Hmm. The word is said to come from the Dutch word quack salva, a quack being K-W-A-K, a seller of ointments. Oh. Another possibility is it comes from, it comes from the noise that the charlatan doctors shouting their wares in the market, quacking like ducks. But personally, I think the Dutch derivation is far more likely. I'm glad you looked it up because I asked that question and thought, uh-oh, what if she hasn't looked into this part? <laughs> a mountiebank was someone who drew teeth while sitting on a horse. At least some of them drew teeth, some of them sold medicines. And I can see no other reason to do this other than to make a quick getaway. In a play called Pan's Anniversary, a group of rustics led by a tooth puller, quote, a tooth drawer is our foreman. He draws teeth a horseback in full speed, unquote. So, I don't know, does that mean that he tied a bit of string to the tooth and, and then, and then got spurred, the spurred his horse? <laughs> yeah. Like you people used to do on door handles. Yeah, for small children with loose teeth. He had an assistant whose job was to drum up trade and who was sometimes dressed as Harlequin. And he was known as a factotum, a zany, or a merry Andrew. And that was just to keep people in good spirits while they were undergoing pain? Uh, well, to get them in, yes, to say, oh, honestly, it doesn't hurt, and jolly them along. Oh, and... yes, it does, yes, it does. Uh, the name Mary Andrew came from, and was supposed to have come from, Andrew Board. Henry VIII's physician, and a man we're due to cover next season. Mm. And there was an apprenticeship of sorts, so that a zany could work his way up to be a kind heart. The tooth puller's insignia was a parasol and a banner, and a small alligator, and I presume it means a model and not a real one, was hung under the parasol. I sure hope it was not a live one. <laughs> Well, I would have thought it would be because the alligators have lots of teeth. Oh, okay. But it might also be because wads of alligator skin, or something purporting to be alligator skin, were shoved into the gap left by the extracted tooth to stem the bleeding. But I'm not sure of the case in England. We've never had alligators here. How would people even know what they look like? It would look like a mythical monster to them. Yeah. So you could probably hang up anything and say it's an alligator. Mm. Or a unicorn. <laughs> That'd be very popular now. All children are into their sparkly unicorns. Uh, yeah, the tooth puller also wore a necklace of teeth. 
which is quite, quite an image. The Anatomies of the True Physician and the Counterfeit Mountebank, written in 1605, implies that these people are so awful that surely they must be Jewish. Oh, no! Mm. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise, should it? No, but it's so disheartening. Mm. We know a fair bit about these tooth pullers from art. There's a picture by Lucas van Leyden which shows a man having his teeth pulled while also having his pockets picked from behind. <laughs> so, oh, gosh, that's a bad day. <laughs> People didn't have a lot of choice of whom to go to to treat their teeth. A barber surgeon might give it a go. Physicians would have seen themselves to be above teeth. Teeth were very lowly. And you also didn't get a show with those people. You didn't get jugglers and music and things. So, yeah, I think people generally thought, you know, I only want the thing pulled out. I'll go to anybody. A 13th century manuscript has this advice for painless extraction of teeth. Quote, Take some newts, by some called lizards, and those nasty beetles that are found in ferns in the summertime. I love that. It's very specific and scientific. Hmm. Calcine them in an iron pot and make a powder thereof. Wet the forefinger of the right hand and insert it in the powder and apply to the tooth frequently, refraining from spitting it off, when the tooth will fall away without pain. It is proven, unquote. Mm. Nasty beetles found in ferns in summer. Yeah, and which nasty beetles? Yes, you don't want to get the wrong one. And basically it's saying the tooth will fall away because it's dead. Mm. But it has nothing to do with the beetles. And I'm pretty sure that won't stop pain. I doubt it will stop the pain unless there is some specific pain-relieving beetles oh. that live on ferns in the summer. I don't know, I've got some ferns in the garden. I'll have a look in the summer and see what <laughs> I can... <laughs> start a study. <laughs> If this didn't work and you couldn't face extraction, there was always all those old favourites, bloodletting, cupping, leeches, laxatives and cauterising with heat or acid. Mm. Or you could always try putting a clove of garlic in your ear. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> all the others I could understand. and That's this obsession with voiding again. Mm. But the garlic is a bit more of a mystery. Yeah. Bloodletters would advertise their profession by by leaving a bowl of blood in their window. And when it began to get rancid, they'd throw it into the street and replace it with the new stuff they'd extracted, despite frequent laws telling them not to do it. Please don't throw rancid blood into the street. Yeah, urine. Poop is fine. <laughs> but don't do blood. There are some wonderful advertisements for toothpaste and toothache cures. David Perronet, or Perronet of London, created what he called the Universal Dentifrice. This made, quote, black teeth as ivory and a sure and speedy remedy for the worst teeth aches from such as be hollow and rotten, for they be never so raging or of long continued. This remedy will presently cure it by killing the worm in it, unquote. Or you could try pulvis benedictus or worm exterminator. And this is wonderful stuff. Quote, Mr. Stiles of the Lock and Key in West Smithfield who was practically eaten by a worm eight feet long, might still have been alive if he oh had my. only taken the exterminator, which is looked upon 
to be rather a miracle than a medicine, unquote. <laughs> so that was a nasty case of, of toothworms. I'm surprised he could close his mouth. Oh, God. No kidding. <laughs> it seems that English people were more gullible than others because London became a mecca for quack tooth drawers. Oh, my god. And I don't know why that was. I wonder if it's our standard of education. Having no standard of education. There was no standard of education. <laughs> wow. The fact that people believed, although at one point didn't somebody, didn't they believe that a woman had um, given birth to like mutant rabbits or something? Rabbits, yes. <laughs> the things people believe. I mean, this one looks all right. To sweeten the breath, quote, to take away the stinking of the mouth, wash mouth with water and vinegar and chew mastic, and then wash mouth with a decoction of anise seeds, mint and cloves sodden in wine, unquote. That'll get rid of the bad breath. Yeah. A nice glass of wine. <laughs> and if you wanted to clean your teeth, you might you probably didn't do it yourself. Well, you probably did if you were very poor, but you went to a barber surgeon... And they went at your teeth with toothpicks and bits of cloth. Oh, and scraped them. Mm. And once the teeth were clean, they were swabbed with aquafortis to whiten them. What is that? Well, it probably did the trick because it's a solution of nitric acid. So it's actually just eroding <laughs> the outside of the teeth? It is. Oh. It would eat away the enamel. Oh. Your teeth look better for a while, but you'd end up with irreparably damaged teeth. Oh, goodness. We've all seen that bit in Marathon Man. And teeth really were extracted as part of a punishment. The number of teeth depended on the seriousness of the crime. And those could include eating meat during Lent. Wow. So if you were thinking of stealing something, you'd have to work out whether it'd be worth it. Maybe you might feel it was something you might give your eye tooth for. That's where the, the saying, saying comes, comes from, from, to give your eye tooth for something. Gosh. The patron saint of toothache sufferers was Saint Apollonia, or is Saint Apollonia. She suffered punitive extractions since she was taken to the temple and told to worship a graven image. And she made the sign of a cross and the little devil appeared out of the image. She had her teeth extracted tooth by tooth and between mm. each extraction she was told to forsake God until she had no teeth left. And since it hadn't worked, they used the rather more prosaic form of torture and they just beat her up. Whereupon she jumped into the fire. And as she died, she cried out to those who, remembering her pain, might never themselves suffer from toothache. So quack tooth pullers across the century carried an emblem of St Apollonia mm. as part of their insignia. And there's a portrait of her by Piero della Francesca, which shows her clutching a pair of pliers. They're so cruel, these portraits, aren't they? Because they, they are often shown clutching the thing that... that killed them. Did, killed them, yeah. Well, we know how popular relics were, and St. Apollonia's teeth were believed to be a good way to ward off toothache, despite the fact that, where did these teeth come from? Did her torturers keep them? Probably. Henry VI, who apparently didn't hold with relics, ordered that these teeth should be confiscated. And according to a report from the time, quote, a ton of veritable teeth of St. Apollonia were thus collected together. And were her stomach proportionate to her teeth, <laughs> a country could scarce afford her a meal, unquote. So that's a lot of teeth. <laughs> 
Yeah. There are still bits of St Apollonia knocking around, if you care to look for them. When surgeons and barbers came together officially in 1540, tooth drawing wasn't part of the deal. It was still a free-for-all. The bill even said, quote, Barbary or shavery, surgery, letting of blood, or any other thing belonging to surgery, drawing of teeth only accepted, unquote. And I don't know why teeth were accepted, really. But, as you said, dental problems could kill. Yeah, the weekly bill of mortality for London in August 15 to 22nd, 1665, it recorded 5,568 deaths all in all, with 4,237 people dying of plague. But number five on the list was teeth, and that was 111 people died of complications in that short time. Yeah, yeah, the abscess can go up through the sinus cavity into the brain. Mm. Also, it can cause um, heart problems. My dentist said oh, that. Oh, I didn't know that. If you got, yeah, if you have gum disease, it can it cause heart attack. Mm. The first woman dentist in history was a Mrs. Dawson of 1557. <laughs> and we know about her because she got into trouble. When her husband died, she carried on his work and she shouldn't have done so and was told not to, quote, hang out any sign or cloth with teeth as she heretofore hath done, unquote. Mm. So it wasn't necessary that she was prevented from being a dentist, but she wasn't allowed to advertise. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why a lot of women took over their husband's work after they passed. Maybe that didn't include... Dentistry. Medicines. Hmm. It was a man's world. Yeah. When sugar arrived, people went mad and put it on everything. Even meat pies were covered in sugar. They used it as toothpaste. (laughs) Oh, God. Shakespeare mentions teeth in 35 of his 37 plays. I don't have to start looking looking for them for our end of our sign-off. And now I'm we'll wondering... Have a spate of teeth ones. Did Shakespeare have any teeth left? <laughs> Was that something he had a problem with? I don't know anything about his teeth. Hmm. Unfortunately, portraits aren't shown with people grinning, are they? They're shown... Everyone has their mouth shut in these portraits. Elizabeth I suffered from gum disease... And her, a German visitor said of her, quote, her lips are narrow and her teeth black, a defect that the English seems subject to from their great use of sugar, unquote. Mm-hmm. And eventually she lost her front teeth completely. And a courtier commented, quote, the queen is still frolicky and merry. Only her face showeth some decay, which to conceal when she cometh in public, she putteth many fine cloths in her mouth to bear out her cheeks, unquote. So she does a Marlin Brando. Oh, she stuffs her face. Yeah. And apparently she was just as hard to understand as well. <laughs> I can imagine. You've got all that stuff in your mouth. Yes. Yeah, it was probably, it wasn't the lack of teeth that made her incomprehensible. It was the fact that she was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Queen was just as afraid as the rest of us of tooth extractions. Quote, It was in the month of December, 1578 when she was so excessively tormented with a distemper, toothache, that she had no intermission day or night, and it forced her to pass whole nights without taking any rest, and came to that extremity that her physicians were called in and consulted. The pulling it out was esteemed by all the safest way, to which, however, the Queen, as was said, was very averse, as afraid of the acute pain that accompanied it. 
and now it seems that it was the Bishop of London being present, a man of high courage, persuaded her that the pain was not so much, and not at all to be dreaded, and to convince her thereof told her she should have a sensible experience of it in himself, though he were an old man, and had not many teeth to spare. And immediately had the surgeon come and pull out one of his teeth, perhaps a decayed one, mm, in Her Majesty's present, which accordingly was done, and she was hereby encouraged to submit to the operation herself, unquote. That is loyalty to your, your monarch, isn't it? Yes. Leonardo da Vinci, as we've seen in our Patreon episode on him, drew extremely detailed diagrams of teeth. Mm -hmm. And Giovanni Daccoli made the first recorded gold fillings. Oh, did they work? Um, I don't see why they shouldn't. They do now, so... Yeah, but they have... Depends what you stick it in have, with. Yeah, and now they have all the ability to actually remove all the decay before they fill the teeth. Yeah, that's, that might be the problem. You've just... Covered it over. The, the problem, yeah. Which doesn't do anything. No. Hmm. I'm talking of gold teeth. There's the story of the golden tooth, and this occurred in late 16th century Germany. A seven-year-old boy grew a golden tooth, and it was good quality gold too. And it was at the bottom left, and it had come about because the boy had been born at an auspicious time. Oh my goodness. The sun was in the sign of the ram in conjunction with Saturn. And we all know how good that is. <laughs> so this boy was obviously destined for great things. And many people came to study this tooth. Too many, in fact, and the little boy took to refusing to open his mouth until a nobleman stabbed him in the face with a dagger. <gasps> well, I presume this was an accident. I guess he was trying to prise the boy's mouth open. What but... the heck? Yeah. But... It was bad enough that the boy needed surgery. Oh. While the surgery was taking place, they were able to get a really good look at this tooth. And they could see the join. What? It had been done very well. And if it hadn't been for the surgery, everyone would have been completely taken in by it. But there was no option but to send the seven-year-old boy to prison. Despite the fact he's hardly done it himself, has no. he? Hmm. Poor little chap. In 1530... The first book entirely devoted to dentistry was published, called Medicines for the Teeth. It became a training manual for barber surgeons. And it explains how to, pu how to pull a tooth, adding, quote, The sign by which you may judge whether the jaw be fractured, or something of it broken off, is when the cavity wherefrom the tooth has been drawn bleeds more than usual, and the jaw swells so much that one cannot open the mouth, and the cavity festers and swells, unquote. I think it's probably too late by then. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the damage has been done. Yes. In England, the first dental book wasn't published until 1687. We're so behind in everything. And it was called Curious Observations in that Difficult Part of Chirurgery Relating to the Teeth, Showing How to Preserve the Teeth and Gums from All Accidents They Are Subjected To. But that was a century and a half after Europe. Wow. In France, there had been university-trained dental surgeons since 1500. And by 1600, even England was trying to put its kind hearts and zanies reputation behind it and get more bona fide dental practitioners who were calling themselves operators for the teeth. And we're going to end with the invention that changed dentistry forever. The drill? No, Anton van Leeuwenhoek invented the microscope. And however hard they looked, 
they couldn't find sight nor sound of those pesky <laughs> toothworms. <laughs> and that's the end of dentistry. Uncomfortable. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. I'm quite glad we got microscope and we know we haven't got toothworms. I wouldn't be happy thinking I had a toothworm. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> Every time we do an episode like this, I'm like, do we really say we hope you enjoyed it at the very end? <laughs> <laughs> that made me feel so squeamish. I hope you all enjoy living now where you've got yes. painkillers. Yes. Yeah. Proper you don't have dentistry. Mm. And not losing your teeth. Mm. Or there was a fad in the 1800s, I think it was, in the States, where they'd pull out all your teeth before you got married so you wouldn't be carrying that cost into the marriage. That went on until the 30s and 40s. Did it? People would get it as their wedding present. Yeah. Mm. Ridiculous. I mean, that seems weirder than a lot of things we've been talking about in the Middle Ages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And somebody also, there's a psychiatrist in America, I think it was, removed people's teeth because he decided that was it was decay in the teeth that was causing insanity. So he thought best bet is to remove all the teeth. And somebody went into his sanatorium and they, they were thinking, there's something wrong here. There's something very strange. And he suddenly realized, no one's got any teeth. Mm. Mm. So they're just torturing them. Effectively. Yeah. Effectively. Lovely. And on that mm. note, we hope you enjoyed this I was going to say episode. these episodes are getting very dark. Yeah, <laughs> we need to do a nice one. I don't know why. Yeah, okay. But we do. Well, we've got one planned about sex for Valentine's <laughs> Day. <so. laughs> well, that's an option. <laughs> <laughs> Even that's um, telling you why you shouldn't. <laughs> So, goodbye. See you next time. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>